0: Everyone and welcome to another episode of Selling Greenville, your favorite real estate podcast here in Greenville, South Carolina. I'm your host as always, Stan McCune, Realtor, right here in the Greater Greenville area of South Carolina. You can find all of my contact information in the show notes if you need to reach out to me for any of your real estate needs. Just a reminder, as always, please like rate, review, subscribe, any of those good things you can do to support this show. All I ask of you guys to support the show is if you like it, subscribe, like, whatever your podcast app or whatever it is that you're watching uh, this on allows you to do, please do that and just use me as your realtor. That's all I ask. I'm not asking. I'm not doing advertisements on the show. I'm not doing anything like that. Those are the only things I'm asking of you guys, uh, and I appreciate all of my listeners so thank you guys for tuning in today we have a special guest on the show um andrew dixon the owner of dixon pest he's recording this from inside of his car uh he's got he's sick so he's 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 being a trooper for me here uh doing this recording and uh and so i really appreciate i've known andrew for a long time um i've used him for pest control uh for i mean pretty much since he started his business as far as i can remember um and uh and he's been a great friend uh and and a great person to work with over the years so andrew thank you for coming on the show welcome to the show
1: thanks man long time listener first time caller yeah that's right
0: <laughs> a- andrew texts me very frequently about the show so i always i always like when i'm able to have people on the show that are actual listeners that uh so, you know
1: sometimes i delete those texts too <laughs> before i send
0: them <laughs> oh boy
1: i try not to be too controversial
0: <sighs> andrew says he tries not to get too controversial but i i <laughs> beg to differ on that point uh, <laughs> well um andrew again thank you for coming on um for those of you that are listening or watching uh i will let you know that we started the show and then andrew's phone overheated and so we're we, Thankfully, we didn't get too far in. We're, we're having a we're having a redo here, Me too. This is what That's happens right. when you try to when you try to do Zoom uh, from inside of a hot vehicle. Um, That's right. But uh, but we're just going to go right back to what we had started before. And I thought it was a very interesting story. Um, I had asked Andrew, and I'm going to ask you again. What's the story behind you getting into pest control? Why did you decide to do that? How, how did you end up in pest control?
1: Well, it goes back to '08 to '10. Uh, we had a recession, which you you know, and uh, I got let go from uh, my position as a manager at a hardware store. And uh, the the gentleman that I worked for, he was he was kind of an entrepreneur. He had bought and sold a couple businesses, and uh, he had kind of he let me borrow his pressure washer, and I did a couple side hustles where I go pressure wash people's houses while working for him full time. Uh, and and as the recession built up. Another friend of mine who's a vet, he had opportunity to service what they call the inventory, all the houses that were foreclosed that couldn't get released into the market. Uh, there, was, there were tons. I mean, I'm sure nationwide, it was probably more than I even realized. But in the upstate, they had us hustling to, to clean them up, to make them safe. And then we had to maintain them uh, as they released them into the market. Uh, so they wouldn't, I guess, flood the market with too many, too many homes. Uh, so during that time it was gangbusters, man. I would leave the house in, in first thing in the morning while it was dark and I'd get home when it was dark. We had just tons of work. They had tight timeframes. Uh, you had to have so much work done in a certain amount of time. Uh, it it was kind of my first introduction to being an entrepreneur, if you will, or working for myself, quote unquote. Uh, there was a lot of lawn care involved in that type of work. So that was kind of, kind of my first take on that. Uh. But as I was getting into that, I worked pest control for another company for about a year uh, for a friend of a friend who who really was just another great boss, just another good man, a Christian man who who cared and and showed showed me that a a boss man can be, you know, be caring. Uh, um, So we parted ways one reason or another. That was my first, you know, my first taste of pest control kind of put that on the back burner. Right. So as the, as the inventory started whittling down HUD basically started making their restraints higher and higher and higher to the point where it was just stressing, stressing me and my family out. And based on my wife's counsel, you know, we just let it go completely. It wasn't really a contract, so to speak, but it was one of those situations where it's like, okay, I'm not going to drive from gray court to Pelzer, you know, all the way up to Pickens, you know, for $20 or whatever. Uh, So as that, fit, yeah, oh, dude, it it was crazy. Some of their restraints that weren't there at the beginning, you had like a three or four-day window. So you would go to one neighborhood, and there'd be three foreclosures in one neighborhood. You could cut all the yards at the same time. But as the inventory started dropping, I think they were intentionally trying to whittle people out. They would make you cut one yard in that neighborhood one day, and then you had to go back two days later to cut the a house down the road, their yard. Uh, instead of cutting it the same day, you had to come back three days later to cut it. And we're, and we're talking $40 a service. I mean, you're working on volume. You're not working on price per yard per se. Um, but, but with that kind of got me into lawn care. And I went full-time lawn care after that, probably for about seven to eight years. And during that time, Uh, we, I had some customers ask me, Hey, do you spray for bugs? Can you, you know, can you spray around the house while you're cutting grass? And I was like, yeah, man, I I worked lawn care. I did pest control for, you know, a year. I could do that. And then next thing you know, uh, the customers started building up and we started building some pest control uh, business. And at that point, I just, because of my hatred towards uh, machinery in general, especially uh, lawnmowers, I just, I called it quits. Uh, had a guy come down from Ohio looking to start a lawn care company and he basically bought that that side of the business and that's that was like probably two thousand fourteen I'd imagine two thousand and thirteen when I when I did a full cut when I got rid of lawn care completely and went full-time pest control
0: so as far as that that's a great story by the way um obviously uh, it, it's crazy had the the different paths we all have to take to to end up where we are so as far as as far as the the job goes i don't feel like a lot of people like really know what is involved with pest control you know it's like it means something different to to different people right for some people they probably picture termites for some people they probably picture roaches other people might picture animals Um, that's right what is it that um what is it that you would say is the uh is something that the average person wouldn't know that is a part of your job, or what? What's something about your job that you feel like is just a misconception in general?
1: Mm, that's a good question, Stan. Uh, there's probably there's probably a couple different things that I can think of. Uh, probably one of the most prominent things is uh, staying on schedule and working with people. Uh, people are are our primary. It's really the primary target when it comes to pest control. Uh, you know, DIY is, is a real factor in today's world. You've got YouTube videos, you can buy products online. There's a lot of different ways people can do things for themselves that they might maybe wouldn't have been able to do back in the day. Um, so w- when it when it comes to that, it's really just the service side. You know, it, it, does someone want to keep up with their pest control regimen? Right. Does somebody want to crawl under their house? Does somebody, you know, uh, want to confront a squirrel in the attic or, you know, catch a, uh, a skunk, you know? Uh, it, and so I, I think when what people, when they think about pest control, they don't think about those aspects. How do you serve the person as opposing, just to treat for the pests, quote unquote. Uh, Cause you know, there's a lot of, and again, I tell this to all of our customers, it's really in the routine that you find the best practice for pest control. Yeah, you can get one treatment a year, but the nature does not stop, you know, those palmetto bugs and they're moving, you know, they're called American cockroaches, you know, technically, but oh, they're just yeah.
0: talking about the the massive uh, cockroaches that we have down here in South Carolina that terrifies everyone that moves here from out
1: of state. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> they're like, a they're like an alien to someone from Manhattan. They're like, what is this? Thing
0: are they just in South that? Carolina? Or are they, are they in like Georgia, North yeah. Carolina?
1: Oh yeah, they're actually they're nationwide. There is a oh, form of American, yeah, there is a form of American cockroach throughout the the whole, at least the continental America, United States. But they're not as prevalent. So we call that pest pressure, right? So there's there's different temperate zones, and really, as you move down, especially from the Appalachian area, like the Upstate South Carolina, the pre- pest pressure actually increases. You got more humidity; it stays warmer longer you're going to see a lot more of those American cockroaches. They're going to be a lot more active. They're still even further north, but because of the the temperate zone and the change in the weather, like when you go up north and it gets cold, it stays cold, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're, the, the frost level in Idaho is like, you know, 16 feet or something crazy. Where in South Carolina, it's like six inches. And so the activity is a lot higher. They're still there, but they're not act, act, as active.
0: Yeah and that's um that's one of the tricky things is knowing when they're going to all of a sudden start appearing like I've run into that <laughs> with some of my rentals where it's like all of a sudden you know they're they're just appearing out of nowhere sometimes yeah. my clients that move here from from out of state too um you know it's just kind of it's just kind of confusing like what do we do about these stupid bugs um well, and uh thankfully people like yourself are are able to address them and and you've been great about you know if a service you know doesn't quite eliminate the pest come back out you've always been great about that That's um good. do 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 we have do we need to be afraid that any of these that you know cockroaches or anything are starting to become resistant to some of the uh to some of the uh chemicals that we're using the against products
1: them? yeah there there is a generational resistance that can build up Um, It kind of, it kind of depends on the population. It kind of depends on, there's a lot of different factors. Uh, At Dixon Pest, we we use what we call our triple barrier system, uh, which uses three different products in rotation. And so when you, when you're changing up the products, you're really, you're you're creating gaps, right? To where they're not being exposed to the same product over and over and over again. Uh, and again, another philosophy at Dixon Pest, which I would say the industry as a whole is trying to go this direction, is that we're, we're focusing more on what they call the mechanical aspect of pest control or or eliminating the physical aspects, uh, which could be, you know, foliage control, uh, moisture control. You could, you know, be sealing gaps and things of that nature uh, with, with some of the newer technology and building construction. You're finding there's a lot less ways for these pests to get in um, now the, the caveat is there. there is a, a section or a group of pests that come in on people or animals those are what we call like carrier pests or urban pests those are the those are the german cockroaches which are way different than american cockroaches and a lot the, of people the, like the, oh.
0: the german ones are the tiny ones right
1: yeah and they live in people's kitchens and and uh, inside people's homes Now, they're not just coming in from the outside, right? So the American cockroach, they're in the leaves, in the stumps. They like to, you know, build up in your gutters, things like that. But those German cockroaches, they're coming in in a box or they're coming in, you know, on, I mean, literally anywhere. I mean, they, I, I mean, I hate, you don't want to throw any certain company or any certain, you know, organization under the bus, but there's really, you can't run and hide from these bugs. You have to be ready for them, you know? Uh, so the the quicker that you see one is the better. You How don't quickly it, do don't they end. reproduce?
0: Are they are they are they pretty fast? Thirty passive? days.
1: Oh yeah, especially Germans, man. Their gestation period is super fast. Uh, they're, they are you are going to have a mess on your hands within three months. So if you ever think, oh, they'll just go away, or I'll just do this and they'll be fine, I would be careful because German cockroaches are very uh, they're elusive. They can hide in places that you wouldn't think they'd hide behind the refrigerator oh easy well there's a <laughs> condensate there's that's a condensate tray them. yeah well there's a condensate tray under the fridge that collects the water from the motor and the motor puts off a little bit of heat right so guess what you got two of the biggest things that bugs love heat and water and so that's going to be a prime spot for them to hang out um it's kind of hard to eliminate the fridge right talking about the mechanical uh things that you can change with pest control so that's one area you can't really control. Yep. Um, but if you're being aware, that's going to be your biggest thing is just being aware. Same thing with bed bugs, same thing with fleas. Those are the three biggest carrier bugs that we deal with. And I tell people the quicker you catch them, the quicker they're gone. If you think they're going to go away, you're going to have a big problem on your hand long-term.
0: So what what would you say are some... Preventative steps that people should take from a bug standpoint. What's something that you would recommend, you know, everyone uh, do besides call okay. you?
1: Yeah, right. Well, well, again, some of these might seem aggressive or extreme, but when, when you've had bed bugs, yeah, they don't seem as extreme, right? So, an e- easy one right off the bat is when you're traveling. Yeah, I don't care if you're staying at a five star resort or if you're staying at a low end uh, motel, you always want to f- check under your mattress. Do a quick check. You know, the fecal matter or the blood stains that a bed bug puts off, That they're noticeable. You know, uh, maybe use your flashlight on your phone. I would say a, fi- a two minute inspection around some areas like that can save you big time for getting, be- bringing bed bugs home. Do
0: you, you uh, I to, also do you tear the bed apart or is, or is,
1: that... uh, you can again. I always tell people the more you're concerned about it mentally, the more you want to do your inspection. Um, I definitely would peel away any sort of mattress cover. Um, and I would also uh, look at the box spring if there's one o- under the mattress. Um, don't put your fur- uh not your furniture, don't put your baggage or your luggage on the bed right away. Don't put them up against the bed, maybe put them in the bathtub or set them on a table. Like you, you want to, you want to keep it away from the bed until you at least get a good inspection. Right. Um, Another big one is when you're getting stuff from Amazon or shipping, maybe open your box on the front porch, right? Do a quick inspection there. Don't necessarily bring it into your home and just open it up carte blanche. Like nothing's going to happen. Some people might think that's extreme, but again, until you've had German cockroaches crawl out of a box, you know, you might think twice.
0: My mom, my mom Uh, had them and this is disgusting. Um, She had them come out of, produce that she got from a grocery store recently. Not it's, not locally. Yep. She's not local, but um that that kind of blew my mind.
1: Oh yeah. And again, I mean when when grocery store, when they're getting food from potentially across the world, right? Mexico's a big producer and a lot of a lot of our favorites, right? Um, or Costa Rica and all that stuff, like you would be surprised like with the bananas, avocados, you know, you're gonna you might find some bugs. And again, a lot of these big companies and big grocery stores, They've got pest control in place. They've got their protocols in place, but you just never want to just assume that everything's going to be gold.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, so tell us a tell us a story. What's a what's a crazy pest control story that you have? Well, uh, just one that comes to mind.
1: Well, I don't want to. You know, we don't want to give any names uh, or places. No, 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 no <laughs> names. <laughs> no, no, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Uh, <laughs> this is all fictitious, right? Well, <laughs> as. As you know, as a pest control provider, we are, we are at many times a liaison, right? People are sensitive. You might have a homeowner and a tenant, right? You might have a homeowner, a manager, and a tenant. You have three different parties going on at one time. And everybody is looking out for themselves in most of the situations. So as a pest control provider, you know, we're looking for the win, win, win. We want the homeowner to win. We want the tenant to win. And we want the, the manager to win. But there are some situations uh, where not everyone can win. Uh, probably one of the most bizarre situations that I've been in was, was a tenant situation where there was a bed bug uh, situation. And most leases, I don't know if you've got these in your leases, but you know, if you bring the bed bugs in, the homeowner's not going to pay to get rid of them, right? It's kind of on the tenant. Well, a tenant had claimed, uh, that that there were bat bugs in the house, right? And so a bat what, what, bug and a yeah, bed. Yeah. What,
0: what are bat bugs?
1: So, actually, again, you some there are some theories that bed bugs actually came from the bat bug. Okay. So bed, bed bug bed bugs have been around for centuries. Uh, there are there are recordings of of bed bugs in the Roman Empire. Um, the reason bed bugs have kind of resurfaced in America. In the last 20 or 30 years uh is mainly due to international travel uh but if you go back to the 40s and 50s america basically eliminated bed bugs so like people like us you know 80s 90s bed bugs were not even a thing we almost completely eradicated bed bugs in america uh primarily due to the products that was used after world war ii they just i mean dude they these products would kill birds out of the sky i mean dude it just literally, and, and I know this sounds crazy, but uh, the the way furniture has evolved has actually changed some of that. We have a lot more stick type furniture as opposed to that old traditional, you know, heavy sofas and stuff like that. The the uh, invention of the uh, vacuum cleaner has actually uh, made a big impact on eradicating bed bugs, but that was mainly in the states where bed bugs are are, are super prevalent. In other countries around the world. So basically, as the you know the FDA and the EPA and all that, as they have basically eliminated some of those really strong chemicals, and international travel have kind of crossed over, you're now seeing bed bugs come back, and they're not. I'll be honest; it's going to be hard to say if they'll ever leave. Uh, and and again, this is going to sound crazy, but the Greenville, Columbia uh, corridor in South Carolina is actually top ten bed bug areas in the country so we we see a lot yeah it's very it's very it's kind of weird but there's a lot you know there's a lot of international business coming our way and stuff like that uh i'm kind of segueing a little bit but going back to the original story so if it's a bat bug it doesn't fall under the lease and the tenant knows it and so we go out there and i'm thinking you know how do i take care of this management's like hey man we just need to take care of this customer so i'm quote unquote playing along with the scenario and man they, they've got me up in this attic just hunting down bat bugs hunting down bats and it, it's it's getting to the point where i'm like so I what, can't what, what are
0: what are bat bugs can you explain that because i actually don't even oh, know what they are
1: okay so i didn't finish that so they look just like bed bugs okay except there, there's a there's a couple minor uh biological differences like if Basically, you have to find it. You have to look under a microscope. Uh, one of them is the hairs. They have little microscopic hairs that come off their bodies, where a, a traditional bed bug doesn't have the same type of hairs that a hmm. bat bug does. Um, but but by the naked eye, they can look almost exactly right. Do they, 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 look, do they, they,
0: they live? Do, do they? You mentioned going into an attic. Do they live in attics? Do they live in beds like bed bugs do? What?
1: Okay, that, that's a good question. So. The reason I'm in the attic is because bats uh, can potentially be in the attic space. Um, typically, you know, when you find a bat bug infestation, it's because you have a massive bat uh, roost, and the and the bat bugs their their population is getting so is getting so large that the b- bugs are actually starting to spread through the attic space or through the ceiling. And so, what what the tenant was claiming. Is that the bat? The bat bugs were starting to infest her bedroom. And again, it's bizarre because I could have just dropped the hammer and said, "These are not bad bugs, right? These are bed bugs," and that's just where we need to stand. But in an attempt to take care of the management and the homeowner, and still give the tenant the benefit of the doubt, dude, we're, we're I'm digging through insulation. I, I've been out there three or four times trying to treat for for bat bugs and I can't find bat bugs. And it comes to a point where uh, I can't actually get out. I can't go into the, the the tenant is so concerned about their deposit. They're refusing basically any sort of information that I'm giving them. Right. They brought in a third party. They said that it was a bat bug. I know it's not a bat bug. So again, this is not as pest control related. Uh, We've got to go to Clemson. So we're, we're getting to the point where no one's satisfied and we've got to bring in the DPR department of pest regulation, which is Clemson university. And at the end of the, uh, yeah, it, it it turned from a, a, what I would consider a very turnkey normal service call to, you can't even go to the property without, you know, someone else being there. You're right. Well, thank, thank, thankfully the Clemson, they do an excellent job they're, Entomologist and their, that department, man, they are excellent at what they do. So they, they got the, the bed bug, they got, they went under the microscope and they confirmed it was a bed bug. And so uh, long story short, wow. The tenant, the tenant had to lose their deposit again. It's kind of bizarre because it we're talking this, this situation probably went on for two months. I've, we probably had to go out there six, seven times.
0: Um, so do they have to so, get rid of a bunch of furniture then?
1: Uh well basically uh yeah well the tenant uh I think they actually got kicked out to be honest with you. They brought it in on all their furniture, right? Because I saw it, I saw it on their furniture, <laughs> and I'm sitting here thinking if if the, if there were bat bugs, you would see them migrating, if you will, from the roost of the bats, because there's also bird mites, and again, bird mites they kind of might in, in bed books, they kind of can look similar, mm-hmm. but again, you know, never say never in pest control, man, mm-hmm. never say always. So you want to give people the benefit of the doubt, but there comes a point in time where it just got so crazy. Uh, we basically had to call in the big guns,
0: you know, wild.
1: and thank, yeah, thankfully Clemson got, got that under control. So, so
0: let's transition for a second here to termites. So I think most people know that termites eat wood and are <laughs> and are obviously bad for homes, right? Um, but beyond that, I don't feel like people necessarily know a whole lot about termites, where they come from, what, what they're trying to do. So how do termites end up in homes? And at what point are they actually a major problem?
1: Okay, that's a good question, man. So termites... They're the only organism in the world that eats wood, by the way. So if anyone ever thinks that another insect or something else is eating the wood, they're mistaken.
0: The, the, uh, the other are, ones are like what? They're burrowing in the wood correct. Or, or laying eggs in the wood or something like that?
1: That's correct. So powder post beetles, uh, old house boars, carpenter ants, things of that nature. They're still using the wood. Uh, even carpenter bees, that they, they, they're they are burrowing into the wood. But they're not actually consuming the wood for food, hmm. and the only reason termites can do that is because they have little organisms in their gut, right? So it's it's weird because the termites aren't the ones actually digesting the wood. There's actually an organism, another little organism inside their body that's digesting the wood for them. Oh, so like it's kind of like it's kind of parasite cool. kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. It's something in their gut. Um, and again, not to not to bash the termites, they're very important to our, our you know ecosystem um in fact in south carolina some studies have shown that there are one to three colonies per square acre so i tell people it's not if it's when they're literally everywhere that you just can't get away from termites in south carolina now there are two different types of termites right now there's really three but two main ones in south carolina one is the native subterranean termite the other one is what they call the Formosan termite. Now, the Formosan termite came over during World War II. Uh, Formosa, I think, is like an island by the Philippines, maybe. And so, it's a very subtropical, aggressive termite. It eats it eats wood like ten times faster than a native uh, subterranean termite. Wow. The good news is is based on Clemson and their studies, these termites haven't made it past Colombia yet. So there's a big temperate zone change in Columbia as you come up to the upstate. So they cannot survive in our temperate zone, which is great, right? Because they eat wood 10 times faster. Um, But if you go down to Louisiana you go down to Florida, man, they are taking over. Uh, It's a much more aggressive termite. Some of the the treatments are gonna be a lot more aggressive. Uh, From a business standpoint, the contracts will vary. Because of the ferocity of the termite, but right now we're still, you know, I think they've had two sightings right south of Columbia. Um, so that's good news. The native termites, you know, they still eat wood, man. They still destroy wood.
0: How do they end up in someone's home?
1: Uh, a lot of times it's it's not necessarily dilapidation of a structure. Uh, I would say it's the lack of maintenance, maybe. Uh, you know, there's no house that's going to be, you know, never exposed. Right. Uh, I, like, like I said before, you never say never, never say always. But there are definitely factors that contribute to a higher level of termite uh, exposure. A lot of it's going to be moisture. That's why when you do a CL100, you're tracking the moisture. Right. Because as as the wood is more moist it's going to give it's going to be a lot more available for the termites as they eat it's going to be a little bit easier for them to go to they also like softer wood i did an inspection one time on the uh, on the hammett house and i don't know if you're familiar with greer but there's a lot of hammett roads right mm-hmm. yeah this, this there, that cat <laughs> that's right that cabin was built in the 1700s the original hammett family and it's built from the like heart pine, super hard wood, right? And it, and, and not only was it hard wood back in the day, but over the centuries, it's dried out even more, right? And it's been added on to three times. So it was actually kind of a privilege to be honest with you, to do a termite inspection, because as I'm under the house, I can literally see the different uh, build outs, right? Because there was a, there was the original cabin, which is super tiny, All the lumber was axed. There was no saws. It was all axed, right? And and dude, I'm telling you, that wood is so hard; nothing could, no, no bug can penetrate it. But as you start moving out around the renovations, you start seeing the one that happened in the '50s. I think there was one in the '80s, and then there was a newer one. And it's bizarre, man, because the one that was done in the '80s, they, you know, that was when they started introducing some of the soft pine. Dude, it was a dude just just annihilated with termite it was wow. and, it, and the crazy thing is is you could literally see the termite damage around the original cabin That's so it, it 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 was crazy man but um it just shows you that there are there are ways to prevent termites but with today's pace and the way houses are built i don't know if you're going to have access to that kind of hardwood without paying a premium price you know sure. what i'm saying? So um,
0: how would they how would they find a house like that? Oh, lost Andrew for a second here. <laughs> we've we've had a few tech problems along the way here. Let me uh, let me see if I can get Andrew back up. While I'm doing that, um, I just want to mention Andrew referenced a uh, he referenced doing a CL100, which will probably come up more than one time in this conversation. That is the wood infestation report it's a standard inspection um that covers basically looking for termites looking for powder post beetles looking for moisture issues mold mildew things like that in the crawl space um andrew i, I was just explaining while you were getting back on what a cl100 was since you uh since you referenced that earlier uh but you can you can you can jump right back into what yes. you were saying how 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 do, how they find the home yeah so
1: Uh, Okay. So you're talking about the term. Okay. So as, as, as people build houses, right? uh, A lot of builders, there's codes that are involved and people, people foresee, you know, termite issues. And and there's been a lot of different ways people have tried to avoid termites over the years. In fact, one of the state codes is you have to have a a pre-construction termite service. And by law, it's, it's good for a year. So for those who are buying new homes, you should have a termite plan prevention plan already wrapped into the purchase of your home uh, and that's basically doing a broadcast treatment for a slab or maybe doing you know your standard peer treatment under a crawl space but n- know that there's going to be some some type of treatment in a, in a new house new construction uh, but again what type of termite products are people using some of these companies that that label is a very broad spectrum you're going to find some products that are good for a year, you're gonna find some products that are good for 10 years. Uh, referencing some of those products from back in the 40s, you know, they had a 50 year lifespan. I mean, it's it's bizarre. Uh we're pretty much outside. Well, when did those they stop you? Where were, were, when were first they started... Yeah,
0: like causing cancer or something like that.
1: Uh it was oh, actually gosh. birds. It was mainly so it, it this is this is this is really bizarre. But it wasn't direct contact that was killing the birds. It was what they call indirect contact. So but so as, as the products were were affecting the insects and other non-target creatures, they would it would find itself in fish because the product mm-hmm. just doesn't break down. Like it, it's like lasts forever. So the product is at a certain level of half-life. By the time it gets to the fish, the bird scoops up and eats the fish. That bird is actually ingesting a very strong product. And the next thing you know, there's dead fish and prey birds dead everywhere. Um, That that was the main culprit to to some of those products. Uh, In fact, as a pest control provider, if I was to use one of those products, they would take my license away. Uh, I've had had people call me out of the blue, uh, some old timers. I've got this product I've been saving since the 50s. Will you come and uh, treat for me? I'm like, <laughs> no, sir, I ain't gonna happen. That's like when
0: people ask me to commit a fair uh, housing violation. I'm like, nope, not, not taking the bait on that. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that happens more often than, than you think. You know, people selling a home, they wanna know about, yep. you know, they get an offer from someone, they wanna know, you know, are these people religious? Do they have a family? And I'm like, man, I can't talk about that. Do your own research, look them up.
1: That's right. I,
0: but that's not my job.
1: Well, and again, no offense to the old timer, you know, he he's got a mindset where he wants something that's bulletproof, right? He 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 wants birds <laughs> falling from the sky, you know. Uh, but but the good the good news is is though the liquid products have a lower lifespan, so to speak, they are more environmentally friendly because the the, the chemical designs are, are are becoming so much more targeted towards the particular insects, right? And 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 in fact, some products on the market, they're made in such a way where they're not leaching out of the soil and affecting other areas. And I'm all about the environment, man, because I'm like, yeah, we yeah. want to protect the house, but at yeah. what cost, you know, and, 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 and then you've also got the bait station, the termite bait station technology that's been around since the eighties. It's, it's gaining more and more traction because you're not dumping all the liquid into the soil. Um, but, but really... Going back to the original question, to avoid termite infestation, you know, first and foremost, going back to the original foundation is awareness. If you're not going to be inspecting your house like a termite inspector, you might as well chalk it up. Because if they get in without you seeing it, they're going to do so much more damage than you could imagine. Because we, we both know it, man. How often do you even think about your crawl space,
0: I try, right? I tr-
1: five I try years could go by.
0: The, you know, those types of things very often. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, five years go by. You have your the most, the house that I could think of in Taylor's, and I think it was built probably in the seventies, ranch style model. There was a sweet old widow lady and she got, she got so elderly. She basically never left her room, right? Well that whole time uh her the last 15 20 years of her life termites had just I mean they had eradicated over 50% of her crawl space. I mean you you could almost fall through the floor. I've, it was I've, so I've been in a house
0: that that you it, that the floor collapsed due to termite damage. That was insane.
1: Yeah, it, it, and and again, does it happen overnight? No. It happens over time. So awareness is the number one thing. Stay, being aware, second thing And today I'm just, you know, I'm a little biased as a pest control provider, but having a prevention plan is just gold, man, because not only does it give you peace of mind, but you get that inspection. You get someone walking your property, crawling your crawl space, checking your garage. And then they're also making sure that, you know, if it's a liquid treatment or a bait station product, that everything is working the way it should, you know? And then, uh, and then the final thing is with that prevention plan, you know, you should be getting a bo- what they call a bond, right? Kind of like an insurance policy, where where if if the termites do get in and do damage, you're at least you got you got something in your back pocket. Basically, the
0: so that people understand, and and to make sure I understand it, the bond is essentially the insurance plan from the pest control provider that they're basically saying if you have termite damage. After we've treated it, we will pay to uh to repair the damages. Is that accurate? Up to up to a certain correct. Amount.
1: That's right. That's right. And so basically, it's illegal to put a bond or insure, so to speak, <laughs> a house against termites. Uh, a, a treatment has mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. go along with it, which mm-hmm. is why it's okay. called a bond, right? So you, so so if someone's like if someone tries to quote unquote bond your house without a treatment. They're basically breaking
0: the I think law. I've not run into um, that yet,
1: but but I'm well, sure you know, it's,
0: doing it's
1: becoming more and more rare. Oh yeah. Well, the good news is, is the state requires a level of insurance for all pest control companies. I can't do a termite service at your house without being properly insured by the state, um, and so that that's across the board. They require that every year. I've got to make sure that that our certification and our licenses all are in line with everything that the state requires so there is some accountability so r- there
0: real quick let's pivot to animals uh what's got what's like the primary animal pest that uh that you run into down here
1: uh you know probably mice to you know my, mice and humans <laughs> have been together for <laughs> eons right you know depending on your your beliefs you know it's definitely yep. thousands of years in fact a, a lot of studies will say wherever there's a human within ten feet, there's going to be a, a rodent of some sort. That's that's not. That's not uh, we, we have a really symbiotic about, relationship. Okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I had my share of rodent man, problems I've got, I've got in, in
0: my homes, as you well know. Caught two of them in my current house myself.
1: <laughs> I know, well, well, it's it, it's it's crazy, man. Because I never will tell someone we can create a house that a mouse can't get into. It's impossible. What we can do is create an environment that is less conducive to rodent activity. And a a lot of that is within your control, but some of it is not in in your control, right? So for instance, someone might have a house with a creek in the backyard, right? And that creek is just, it's an environment and a habitat that is super conducive to rodent activity. Uh, You might have, we have a customer that lives next to a peach orchard, right? rodents are gonna be attracted to that falling fruit. So, you know, when it comes to those type of situations, you know, we recommend what we would call a, a regiment, right? Where you're doing everything you can to keep them out, so to speak, but then you're making measures to trap them or kill them before they enter your home. Uh, the good news is, is they're not on the endangered species list, right? So, you know, we we at Dixon Pest, man, we do, we do our darndest. To make sure that we're not messing up any sort of creature or animal that is not within you know that structural issue like like for instance you know a customer hey i need you to come out and i need you to kill these squirrels in our trees well you know not only does it go against my beliefs because i don't want i don't want to just go out and just kill animals for fun um but it's also sure. illegal for me to do that which is great you know but you know if a squirrel's getting into someone's attic Sure. Yeah, we're gonna kill them, man. We're gonna take them out. Uh, you know, that th- we're we're not really called exterminators anymore because we can't exterminate the critters or the bugs. We can control them, right? Or we could create uh, environments that are less conducive. But once a once a a, a mammal, a specifically a squirrel, a mouse, uh, a raccoon, you know, you name it. Once they find their way into your home, it's over, man because they've got a, a a brain pattern that once those foraging patterns lock in, they'll never not come back. Uh and unfortunately it's the same thing in nature. Uh, have you ever heard of the term a uh, fed bear is a dead no, bear? No, I've not. Okay. So, so say you're at a park, right? A national park. And everywhere, do not feed bears. Do not feed put your trash in a certain area is because once that bear gets a hold of that trash can or knows that they can eat at a campsite they will never not come back. They will always come back. And unfortunately, the Rangers, yeah. they have to eliminate them. They have to kill them. Uh it's the same thing with alligators. You know, don't feed the gators because mm-hmm. they will come back every time. So how this, um, this is a really so, random
0: question. How effective are cats against rodents? Like have have, have you oh, had have, have you ever had to eliminate <laughs> a, a mouse or a rat oh, from a know. house that had a cat? Okay.
1: Oh, absolutely. No doubt about it. Uh, it is a good question though, because I actually ask customers all the time this question and I get a lot of different feedback, right? So uh, some folks would like, Hey, I need you to come take care of my mouse problem. Oh, great. And you get there and you're going through your questions. You're trying to get feedback, you know, trying to come up with a plan of action, man. I've got these great cats, man. They just do such a good job. And you sit there and you kind of scratch your head, you know, like, well, why are we here? You know, but uh unfortunately, mice particularly, you know, they are opportunistic feeders, they are attracted to other animals. If they smell the oils from cats, dogs, humans, etc., they're that's actually drawing them in. Not, not and the reason the reason why is because you know, part of their, uh, their nature is they know that if another mammal is thriving in that environment, that means that environment has everything they need, food, water, and shelter. So in a lot of situations, a cat or dog will actually attract mice. Now there are cats and dogs that can, are good at, uh, taking out rodents. Um, I've had some, some customers, they'll be like, Oh, you just can't feed them. You got to starve them. You know, they're, they're going to come and That's where they get hungry. That's an interesting strategy. And then I've got some customers.
0: That doesn't sound sound like something that uh, animal uh, (laughs) rights people would be happy about.
1: (laughs) Lovers. Oh, no. Well, and on the other hand, I've had some customers like, oh, we feed our cat really good. You know, and they always have a dead mouse (laughs) on the front porch for us. They've got a
0: little business relationship going uh,
1: on. That's right. That's right. So I, I will say, you know, there is probably a place for cats to be what they call mousers. Uh, but I would say in general, as a as a normal residential homeowner, you know, I wouldn't count on it. I mean, most cats are getting, you know, they're kind of lazy in my opinion. Uh, but they, you know, they're still a great pet to not, have. Not in so, my opinion, you know, but, uh, we're, but we're people I know there are some that.
0: people that will agree with you on that. So we'll uh, we'll let that one slide.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, the, the scariest crawl space I've ever been in was a, a, a cat oh. infested Crawl space. Dude, I'm telling you, snake. I've had situations where I've had snakes and all that. But when you're in a crawl space and there's oh about 30 cats under there, dude, it's like a horror movie. Because you, you hear them. They're everywhere. And they make all these noises. And I that was one of the only times where I actually carried <laughs> a weapon with me because I was so scared. And you know what the call was? I was there to hunt down a dead cat. Like, I literally was trying to find a dead animal. And I could not find that cat anywhere. And those cats had completely destroyed the HVAC system. So when people, when they feel like they can feed cats on the outside to keep other critters away, they're actually inviting. Um, I've had a lot of like rat calls, not mice, but rat calls because people are feeding uh, feral cats. And that food that they put out on the back porch is actually attracting uh, rats and other animals like possums and stuff like that. Interesting. Oh yeah.
0: Let's, uh, let's transition here. And we only have a few more minutes left. I know I got to let you go. I appreciate your time. Let's talk about moisture. Oh (laughs) man. Let's talk about moisture for a second, because obviously, you know, when you're doing a CL 100, you're checking moisture levels in the crawl space and all of that. One of the key ways that, uh, that a house can the structure can be compromised is by excessive moisture. But moisture is confusing to people. I run into this a lot, particularly people coming right. from out of state. Um, so some people will come from areas that um, are uh, don't have crawl spaces. Basically, states like you know, I run into this. People Floridians oftentimes are used to slab homes or yep. used to really tall homes or whatever the case may be. Um, and the concept of a crawl space is confusing because it's like, okay, there is moisture in here, but too much of it is a problem. How much of it is a problem? There's like different levels, different degrees of problems when it comes to moisture and mold and mildew and all that. Um, what can you say to kind of clear clear through all of that to someone that that really just has no idea about crawl space moisture levels and, and what's safe and what's
1: not. That's a good question. So there's a couple things I would start out with. One is you can't really escape the fact that moisture is in yeah. South Carolina. Uh, it's everywhere. Um we we live we live again going back to the temperate zone factor, obviously moisture is a lot higher as you go down to Florida you know, down to Georgia, and stuff like that. So first of all, you can't escape moisture 100%. Second thing is you can't escape mold spores, right? Mm -hmm. Mold spores are everywhere. Where you're sitting right now, where I'm sitting right now, there are mold spores all around us. Just like the termites, you're not going to, they're always going to be there, right? And so starting out by that place, I think can help someone achieve a little bit more peace of mind, right? When you cut, when you get down to the nitty gritty, you're like, okay, It's always going to be there. What can I do to prevent excessive moisture or excessive mold buildup or proliferation of mold uh, or excessive termite damage, right? And so first and foremost, you're going to, those, those three aspects, though they all come together, they all kind of show themselves in different ways. So like a termite, I try to tell people, they might start freaking out, right? Oh, I got termites. Listen, you've already tackled the first problem. Your number one problem is that if you don't know the termites are there, that's when they cause the most damage. But once you find out that the termites are there, you're good because they're mm-hmm. not really fast. They're not like, they're not going to tear your house As down in, in those, five uh, days. Those ones so you can limit. <laughs> yeah, that's right. The yeah. promotions are not here. Exactly. And so, like we got it. Like this is this is good news. We found out where, that they're here. Now we can deal with it. Um, and so that's more of a structural issue. The only reason you need to worry about termites is because of the structural damage, right? So now that we've stopped the bleeding, we can now assess this situation and make sure your structure is properly put together. Now with mold, it's more of a you know what they call air quality, right? There is a wood destroying fungus which based on the state and the findings of Clemson University, that moisture content of that lumber has to be over 28%. That is a an environment in which fungus can proliferate and it starts to eat the wood as it, as it grows. So I tell people, once you find that water problem, whether it be moisture entering into the crawl space, it's usually gonna be a water leak of some sort, right? So that's a, That's just like the termite. Once you find the water leak, man, we're good. We've stopped the bleeding. We can step back. We can get a plan together, and we're going to take care of this. Um, as far as like more long-term moisture issues, that's going to be a little bit more difficult because uh, a lot of that has to do with air circulation. The good news is, from an air quality standpoint, theoretically, your air conditioner is supposed to be an enclosed system. So though you might have higher moisture readings in your crawl space, if your air conditioner is running properly and sealed properly, you have a a good divider between your crawl space and your living area. So that should put you in a place where if there's too many mold spores in your your living area, it should be going through your filtration system and your air conditioner. So in in effect, you're controlling those mold spores, right? Uh, Whenever you find a mold buildup in someone's living area, typically there's usually an issue with the air conditioner or it's maybe a vacant house or there's a massive water problem in someone's home. So I've been in I've been in some houses where they're running window units, right? The window unit technically is supposed to drain out the back to the exterior of your house, just like all HVAC units. They have a condensate line. The water evacuates to to the outside exterior. But some of these folks, primarily renters, they don't care. The water is leaking inside the house down the wall. So you walk into the room and, man, there's black mold everywhere. Yeah, You see what I'm saying? So the the system that is supposed to be filtrating the mold spores is actually almost feeding itself in a sense, right? And so those are the situations that I would be most concerned about, right? Uh, Another off-the-wall situation is I've been in another house where there's only mold in a closet, right? Well, what happens is they keep that closet door closed for months. Those folks may not go in that particular closet, so the air conditioning system isn't reaching it. That's what we call a dead space. Same thing can happen in a crawl space. You want air circulation to be moving those mold spores and to move the moisture. Uh, So I I would say when people maybe are concerned about air quality, the first thing I would tackle is your HVAC system, right? And then I would, if you're concerned about your crawl space, that would be like a secondary issue.
0: I hear people talk about like now a lot of these smart thermostats are measuring your humidity levels inside of your home. Are there levels where like that is indicative of, of something problematic maybe in the crawl space or elsewhere that you've run into?
1: It can be, well, this is the thing, right? So again, we're talking humans and there's not really a lot of regulation on moisture uh, because humans are so different. You might have somebody that has uh, a humidifier sure. in their house. Their Their living area is too dry. They, they get, it dries their lungs out. And then you've got someone next door, they've got a dehumidifier because right. they, they need a dryer, right? And so when it comes to humans, you know, some people move to Florida because it's more humid. It's apparently better for your joints, right? Um, but at the end of the day, it's going to come down to the human, the person. Some people might have asthma. And so a, a certain level of mold spores might be worse for someone else, right? I had a, uh, a gentleman, 96 years old, uh, wild dog, man. I mean, this guy was alive, dude, for a 96-year-old. He was, He had pet deers coming up to his house. He had a a pack of peacocks that he had as pets. But man, I kid you not, I went under his house and I found moisture readings in the 40%. It was so wet under there. The the insulation was just soaking wet. And I'm sitting here thinking like, there's a small percentage of people who can live in this level of moisture. Because once, because the HVAC system was not like really well put together either. This man, You could smell the dampness in his house, but here he is, 96 year old. You know what I'm saying? But there could be. Exactly. But if someone else was to come into that house, man, they might get a headache within five seconds. Right. So so... Uh, in fact, I had made a record. Well, I had made a recommendation to him because he was about to put the house on the market. Right. And I was like, man, I don't know, you know, this is going yeah, to ding a moisture report. House with like, 40% what,
0: crawl space moisture.
1: Yeah. No, no. And you know what he said? He goes, I don't care. I'm not, he goes, I'm not doing nothing. <laughs> he, he told me, he's like, I'm 96 years old. He <laughs> goes, they can take it or leave it. I said, yes, sir. That's, you know? So again, that's you why see you're how much he cares about it.
0: <laughs> 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 so, so you're, if someone is, uh, comes to you and they're like, Hey, my humidity is consistently above 50% in my house. You're not inherently concerned about that.
1: No, no, I'm not. If, if it comes down to tax and needles, the, the way that we can really get down to it is, is basically an air test or a culture test. And what that does, it gives you a spore count. And again, th- this, this is tests? still not completely... Well, we, we do but we send it to a third-party laboratory, right? And and again, even that is not super concrete, right? Because it still depends on the person. The the, the reason we do these tests is because we can at least get a spore count. And then there's there's a general consensus on if a spore count gets so high, it would be considered problematic for the general public, right? And so at that point, all the parties involved can be like okay, well, this is you know this might be an issue we might need to address it because uh, you know some people, man, they don't want to deal with it. You know what I'm saying? Where some people are like, man, I've got to get this done. But as far as the humidity in the house, I'm not going to get all crazy unless I see it building up everywhere or or if we do like a sport, sport that makes house. sense.
0: So we're we're almost at an hour here. um One question though that I want to I want to clear the air on for some people. One thing that drives me crazy is after a big rain, we've had flooding and whatnot, people go in there and want to do their CL100, you know, right after that. How frequently do CL100s fail after, you know, after we had a big storm in the area? Is that pretty common?
1: Yeah, I would say it's probably more common than not. Uh, And again, you know, there's a spectrum, just like with the air quality, there's a spectrum what we call like people who sound the alarm. Uh, you know, if I go into a crawl space and I see a little sitting water, I'm not going to freak out, right? Will it fail a CL 100? Yes, it will. There is a location on the CL 100 that appropriates sitting water because it can be an issue. Now, if you get a, if you get a heavy rain and there's a way for that water to slowly work its way out, you're probably, you're going to be probably fine, right? Am I going to say you're always going to be fine? No because you never say never, right? So there are situations where if there's sitting water for a long period of time, over time, right? That moisture in the lumber is gonna suck it up because it's porous. And that's why the moisture readings on the lumber are so important because people are like, oh, those moisture readings are gonna be really high in the wood because we just had a big rain last night. Well, that might not be true, right? You can have sitting water, I've and I've had this many times sitting water in the crawl space 15 to 16 percent in the in the lumber right 15 to 16 percent does not fail a co100 does not proliferate fungus or mold it's actually a very good number for for lumber but that's because that wall that sitting water isn't always sure. going to be a long-term issue right it just happened to come in you and, know. and it's normal but, for but honestly to during have- this
0: you know sitting water after after some rain
1: it's pot yeah it's po- sure. it's very possible right that, i mean man i've i've done moisture work in crawl spaces that have nine percent moisture readings, just because the people were so concerned about water getting in and i'm sitting here thinking like this is this is amazing like nine percent is is no. is insane but they still they're probably they, from for Florida. peace of mind they want it <laughs> <yes. laughs> um and so i would say uh, you know if 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 th- there are some companies they will take a look at the the water stains on the foundation to you know i can't remember it's like inc- they use incandescent light or whatever uh, i feel like that that can be a little misleading personally because that those moisture stains May not be necessarily due to something current. It might be a situation that's that that happened years ago. Uh, am I saying that it's not it's not helpful to, to a potential buyer? You know, a buyer might want to look into that. Uh, I don't know if it's going to give you great data. I, I'm a very big stickler on the moisture readings in the lumber because I think that's the most telling. That's going to tell you if this is if this has been a long time uh, occurrence. in, in my Absolutely. opinion.
0: Well, Andrew, I think that's about uh, all the time that we have today. Is there, is there anything that we didn't cover that you were hoping to cover? Do you have anything else to say to the audience?
1: Uh, oh, man. Well, I love the podcast, man. I'm a, I want to take a moment <laughs> to brag on it a little bit. Uh, well, you know, in, in today's world, I feel like there's a lot of people that can talk about things, but I really appreciate the fact that you go by a lot of numbers. And I think that gives us a lot more. Uh, it helps us evaluate the the market. You know what I'm saying. It, it's a little bit more telling. So I appreciate you doing that homework because it. I know it takes a lot of work, man. Thank you. Um, and and, and it does ha- it does help us from a pest control standpoint because it ca- it gives us an idea of how many people are potentially moving in. You know who's building houses and things like that. So th- thanks for doing that, man. I really Absolutely. appreciate your hard work. Uh, uh, other than that, man, you know. I can, I can always talk about a ton of pest control we'll have you stories on for a but second show where just, you can just
0: tell stories.
1: I, that's right. That's right. I just, I, I just, uh, I'm really, I'm really grateful for the customers at Dixon Pest, man. I just think about all the different people that we've been able to serve over the years. And this might be a little chance for me to, to tell them I appreciate them because I'm sure some of our customers listen yeah, to your podcast as so. well. So,
0: well, that was Andrew Dixon from Dixon Pest. Um, I'm, Always an advocate for local businesses, small businesses. If you need pest control, contact Andrew. Um, I will, Andrew. You want me to put your phone number, or your email, or well, just uh, we'll, we'll talk afterwards. I'll, I'll I'll figure out what contact information you want me to to put in there. Uh, but that'll be in the show notes in case you need to reach out to Dixon Pest for any of your pest control needs. Highly recommend them. I've used Andrew. Uh, as I said earlier, for a very, very long time. He's always done a great job. Stands by his work. Um, his employees are great as well, uh, which is not easy in this environment, as as any employer knows. <laughs> um, but, uh, but
1: what's Don't the answer? answer? Uh, I yeah. said, you know, that's right. <laughs>
0: well, that's a, that's a wrap for today's episode. Thank you guys for listening. My contact information is in the show notes. Andrew's will be as well. If you need to reach out to me for your real estate needs, him for your pest control needs. And please, if you like the show, physically like it by pressing the like button, hit the subscribe button. If you're on uh, YouTube, leave a little comment. All those good things. We will talk to you guys next time.